For a long time, when I would lead presentation skills trainings, I would track my speaker's vocal fillers. They would get up to present, and I would take notes on their body language and their pacing, and I would keep a list of ums, uhs, likes, and so's with tally marks next to them. When they were done, I would say, you did great. You used your hands more intentionally, and you stopped moving your foot in that weird way, and you used four less uhs than you did in your presentation before. It would feel like this quantifiable or qualifiable. It was a way to put the intangible experience of speaking into numbers. It was a way for the speaker to find something specific that they could work on. They may not have been able to completely alleviate their presentation anxiety, but they could stop saying uh and um so often and in that way feel more credible and confident as a speaker. Vocal fillers, ranging from uhs and ums to likes to so's to and to just to actually, you know, right? Do you get it? Does that make sense? All of these fillers have been the great villain of public speaking for my entire professional career. We want to eliminate our vocal fillers. People ask at these trainings, how do we do it? Well, today I'm here to talk with you about the idea that maybe, just maybe, vocal fillers aren't so bad. What if, in fact, these things that we have tried to eliminate from our presentation toolbox could actually be helpful? What if sometimes vocal fillers are, like, uh, good? <laughs> Today we're going to define vocal fillers. We're going to talk about the negatives, obvious though they may be, and then we will talk about the surprising positives of vocal fillers. Beyond that, we'll discuss how to eliminate vocal fillers should you want to. And if nothing else, by the end of this episode... I want you to think about how you can befriend your vocal fillers and how maybe you can use them for good. My name is Katie Marshall. Welcome to my pod talk. <laughs> you know, like, welcome to my TED talk. Welcome to my pod talk. Let's think about this. Vocal fillers. By definition, a vocal filler is any word or sound that gets this word that interpolates, interpolates, interpolates. It means to insert itself into the main message of the speaker. Any word or sound that gets in the way of the message that you are trying to give is technically considered a vocal filler. We all have our favorite. As human beings, we speak in word packages. And if we think about a vocal filler as a life raft or some kind of safe zone, then we're going to go back to the same ones over and over. Uhs and ums are thinking-focused vocal fillers. When we say uh or um, we are trying to find the next thing that we want to say. Other words like so and just give a kind of value to the statements that we're making. Other words like kind of allow us to soften our impact a little bit. Other vocal fillers seem to just connect our sentences together. Meaning, if I am not willing to take a break between my sentences. If I want to keep rolling with the same thought, I'm going to keep using words like and, anyway, also. I'm going to add to my list before I take a breath. Furthermore, we've got phrases that allow us to ask people if they understand what we're saying. 
because communication is the great way of connecting with others. And when we say something, sometimes we're not totally sure if people heard us. Uh, lately, <laughs> lately, we have been communicating through masks. It's hard to see someone's face all the time. Or we've been communicating virtually. It's hard to tell if someone's frozen or if they're just intently listening. Harder still to see them if their screen is off. And what that calls upon for us as speakers is this need to confirm that we've been heard. Almost like a a radio that truck drivers might use, whatever that is called. When people pick up the, oh my God, the microphone and they say like, do you hear me? Over. Then we know the message is over. We want to do that when we communicate because it's important to us to know that our message has been received. So we'll say things like, you know what I mean? Or does that make sense? My favorite. Does that make sense? Or right? Things like that. Many of our vocal fillers then seem to be signals to ourselves or to others that we are heard and that we're understood. They come from a place defined as speech disfluency, which is anything that causes a break or an upset to normal or fluent speech. Fluent speech would be saying a full sentence about how much I love my cat very much. A disfluency in that sentence would be I love, I love my cat like so much. Uh, how much do I love my cat? Mm, it's, you know, I can't even really like explain it. You know what I mean? There's small interruptions here. What's interesting is where we think these come from. Researchers believe that vocal flares are caused by divided attention or when someone uses words they don't frequently use or most normally nervousness. When you are coming up against a word that you don't use often, for example, interpolation, inter, interpolation, whatever, when you come up against a new word, your brain wants to take a second to make sure that they can climb the mountain that is that new word. And so a break is called for. It is difficult to stop yourself midstream of sentence, midstream of consciousness, and it's easier to keep going as though the vocal filler allows you to continue through the sentence. The biggest, the biggest negative, now that we know what a vocal filler is by definition, and you know it colloquially, now that we know that, the biggest negative is the impact that it makes potentially on you and your credibility and also on your listeners. We are under the impression that the more vocal fillers we use, the lower our credibility gets because we associate vocal fillers with nervousness. They can be distracting. If you say the same vocal filler over and over again, if you say the word actually so frequently that someone can metaphorically tally it while they're listening to you, it could become distracting. If you're using words that constantly soften or lower or lighten the impact of your message, such as just sort of kind of almost if it's cool with you, then you're going to have a different impression than you would if you got those out of the way. These can impact your credibility and how well people hear the message you want them to hear. <sighs> Breathing and pausing while you speak is the ideal replacement for a vocal filler. Breathing and pausing shows that you have confidence in what you're saying and that you believe that you hold the spotlight for the conversational moments. 
you're showing that you take up the space that you're in and you're able to release it for a second so that you can jump right back in when you want to. It also allows your listener's brain to digest for a second. If I continue going with a sentence like this and I don't take any breaks and actually I just never even breathe and I keep talking this way and then I tell you something else about over there and then I never stop at all, eventually your brain's going to log off of that discussion because it's too many words. And there's so much happening all the time, every day. It's too much. A pause will allow your speaker to hang out with you longer and allow your listener, really what I mean, your listener, your fellow speaker, if you will. It'll allow your listener to download easier. So the major negative is that it could impact your credibility. The more vocal fillers you use could impact your credibility. Because we believe that vocal fillers are associated with nervousness and because they might group up or bunch up or cloud the rest of your message. What is interesting is that there's actually research that shows that maybe vocal fillers add some positive benefit to you as a speaker and you as a communicator. First fun fact, this is from the Harvard Business Review. The word um is not actually a product of anxiety or lack of preparation. It is strictly a speaking processing term. We don't say um because we're nervous. We say um because we're trying to find the right thing to say. And we have, as a community of communicators, decided that when we hear um, that something is coming. So one of the first most interesting positives is that when we hear a vocal filler, our brains associate those filler words with new information. So when we hear it, we are primed and ready to learn something new. So um, when I start with um, you know that I'm thinking about something because it's a thinking. President Barack Obama is famous for his loud uhs and long ums as he spoke. And he's one of the great orders of our time. We know that these noises mean that you're thinking about something. When I work with speaking clients who are using English as their second language. I know that they're using ums and uhs to translate. Further, when I work with anyone and I hear them using those words, I know that they're trying to find the word they're looking for, or they are waiting for their brain to process the new and creative thing that they're trying to put together. The best news I can tell you is that other people know that too. No one thinks you're immediately nervous. And if they do, that's okay. We can't control everyone. We can't really control anyone. But we can know for each other and for ourselves that when we hear ums and uhs, that those are thinking noises. One of the other values or maybe one of the reasons why we use vocal fillers is to hold the floor of a conversation a little bit longer. I just told you that when we pause and when we breathe, we are showing that we are confident in ourselves as a speaker. We know that we, you and I together, operating as the same speaker, as though we are the spaceships, robots that the Power Rangers used. You and I together are a Power Ranger speaker. <laughs> oh, when you use a vocal filler, there is a good chance that you're doing it because your team talks really, really fast. And you know that if you want to keep going with your point, you have to hold the floor. So uh, here's my point, and uh, here's what I think the succession plan should be. And uh, if I'm honest, I think we should spend this much money on it. You may be using them so that you can get your whole point out in time before you get interrupted. 
there are times when you have the flexibility, luxury, dare I say privilege to pause when you're speaking. And that's when it is understood that you're the speaker. When you have a presentation to give, when everyone else is on mute, (laughs) then you know you can pause. I hope for you that you are having more conversations where you feel comfortable pausing. If you don't feel immediately comfortable, because I've, I've been rushed through a pause before. We all, who of us hasn't? One thing that I found works is just holding a small hand up and saying something like, this is a really big question. I want to give you a good answer. That's going to require me to think for a second. And that allows people to know that you're going to pause. Beyond that, other values of vocal fillers. Go figure all of the things that we love about speakers, their authenticity, their vulnerability, their openness, their approachability, their engagement. All of those stem from this one root place of integrity and allowing yourself to be a human. Humans, I know this may sound wild, but humans love other humans. We love hanging out with each other and we like to know that the person we're hanging out with is open to mistakes, to laughing something off, to not doing everything perfectly. We know somewhere in our brains that humans in all truth and actuality are not perfect. Therefore, when we see someone else use a vocal filler, when we hear them use one, it makes us feel connected to them. We may appreciate the lack of vocal fillers because we can hear a message clearly, but should a vocal filler or two come out, it's not the end of the world because the baseline value is that your speakers know that you're open. You're open to being human. You're open to being approachable and engaging. Further, some research done by Mortar, M-O-R-T-A-R, is that a good balance is 28 fillers per 100 words. If you were to come out and uh, talk like uh, this the uh, entire time you're uh, speaking, then uh, the only thing um, people are going to hear are your uhs. That's too many. But if you can break it down to about 28 fillers per 100 words, or in other words, have a general awareness of your vocal fillers. A general awareness, but not so much that you're overwhelmed to the point where you can't think about anything, but having these big dramatic pauses these big dramatic breaths and absolutely no fillers whatsoever. It's, you know, it's the wordle of public speaking. (laughs) It is a fun game and it's gratifying when you hit it, but it's not the end all be all. Because the truth is, if they're not emphatic or all over the place or deeply, supremely obvious, your vocal fillers are not a big deal. Honestly, they're not even super noticeable. If they are, other positives are that they might be your brand marker. Maybe you say some kind of catchphrase from your parents over and over again. I remember watching my dad facilitate discussions and he would constantly say, may I offer you something for your consideration? And I really liked that. So now when I do it, I have this fun and professional way of honoring my dad in my work. Maybe you have a much cooler catchphrase and everyone loves it. Maybe your last name is Miller. So your big one is, and that's Miller time, which I personally would love. I don't think it gets used enough. If your last name is Miller, you should be using that. (laughs) I'm a big fan. There are small personality markers 
that let people know that you're a human, that you're open to working with them, and even just a general freedom that can let other people know they're free with you. Often when I hear vocal fillers at the beginning of a story, I know that that speaker is trying their best to get the motor running. They they have been given an interview question that they want to answer well. And so they start talking about this thing over here and here's this situation and here's this scenario. And now here, here is the heart of the story. Here is the thing I actually wanted to get to. Here is the lesson I learned. Here's what that mentor told me. Here is that moment in that hospital that changed my life and made me want to go to med school. And med school is the right choice for me because it is the best possible way for me to help other people. It takes people almost like skateboarding. I use a skateboarding term a lot, even though I only vaguely understand it, but go with me here. In the spirit of Tony Hawk, just just go with me here. There's this idea of dropping in. In skateboarding, if you have a, I'm going to say a pipe, Again, I'm, I'm reaching here, but when people are up at the highest level of it and then they drop in to the pipe to get their, their run in, I think of that often with communication. Sometimes people have to drop in. Some of us do that through a really big breath. Some of us can just go, and some of us need to get our motor running with some vocal fillers, some fluff before they get to the heart of the thing. When you're in something akin to an interview, when you want to make an immediate impression. There may be times where you want to get rid of that, but what I also want you to know is that I have no interest in you as a speaker or communicator torturing yourself because you use the word like once or twice. It's not worth it. It's absolutely not because the benefit is, again, you're showing that you're a human. The other great thing is that if you change your vocal fillers while you're speaking, meaning you might use them more upfront when everyone is at their most energized, excited, or anxious. You might use a lot of vocal fillers within the first one to two minutes. And then maybe as you get more comfortable, you can raise your awareness to how much more you can breathe and pause. Maybe you use them less. What that shows the people you're speaking to is that you are immediately growing and developing in front of them. And that's exciting. That's fun. That's like really cute of you. Which leads me to my last benefit that I think is probably the best Vocal fillers are so funny. They're so funny. If you watch Schitt's Creek obsessively like I do, then you know that Alexis and David both use vocal fillers as humor tools frequently. They're delightful and so funny. There's a very funny way that comedians will use vocal fillers almost as a pause mark. I remember Elizabeth Gilbert's first TED Talk about creativity, which is a masterclass in and of its own. She's talking about how historically creatives and even technically focused creatives are prone to madness and depression and sadness and deep grief. And she's listing this all off for them. And then she pauses and looks around the room and says, so uh, are you guys like cool with that? Or, (laughs) and it was so funny to see her transition from professional researcher, writer, speaker into just being another creative in the room, which speaks again to the point that vocal fillers humanize you and connect you with the people you're communicating with. I am sure I've already said the last fact as in I was going to say the last fact, but I want you to consider anytime I say the last fact, it's sort of like when a martial arts instructor tells you, okay, just one more time. It means you're going to do it about 10 more. So here's another last fact 
about how vocal fillers humanize and connect you. They can be used as diplomatic interruptions. They can be used as diplomatic interruptions. One of the more frequent questions I get, or I guess it's two, they're bookended, is how do I jump into a conversation and how do I end one? How do I get in there? How do I stop? Much like double dutch, jump rope, how do I get in there? And now how do I stop? Some people feel very comfortable just jumping into a conversation with a phrase. Some of us need something to help us get in there, which is again the idea of vocal fillers as something like a life raft, a tool that may help you. It's a little rough to say, let me interrupt you, or I'm speaking now. (laughs) If you use those, I support you and I want you to continue using them. However, if you're looking for a nice way, almost like a knock on the door of a conversation, something like, um, hey, or, and another thought could get you in that door a little bit softer and quieter. There are times to be direct, such as I'm interrupting you. There are times to be soft, such as, hey, I was thinking. There are times to be even softer. Um, hey, let me focus on that. That let people know that third one, the um, hey, let me focus on that. It lets someone know that you're not there to hurt them. Maybe you are. I don't know. I don't know what your communications are like. What I do know is that I want to give you every option I have. And I know for certain that there have been times when I've come in hot to something that I thought was a debate and it was not. And I could have come in softer. And I want you to have all the options. So vocal fillers can be a good way to softly enter a conversation. Again, they do not negatively impact your credibility so much to the point that you can't use them. What we seem to be comfortable with is using vocal fillers in conversation when we're speaking to people in in our media, like I was saying with Schitt's Creek. But what we seem to hate for some reason is when someone gets on a stage or a theoretical or metaphorical or virtual stage and use vocal fillers, then we see it as distracting, perhaps because When someone is presenting properly, I am speaking to you, you all are the listeners. There's nothing else to do but listen. And it's so much more obvious when someone uses a vocal filler. To that end, they could be distracting. They could be something that you want to eliminate. If you want to eliminate your vocal fillers, if you choose to, again, remember about 28 fillers per word. If they're not easily distinguishable, you may interpolate. Ooh, I think we did it last time. You may interpolate as often as you wish. Further, if you're using them to humanize or add humor or softly interrupt, they may serve as really solid connectors. And more often than not, if you're having a team conversation or a one-on-one discussion, using vocal fillers is not going to greatly take away from your credibility. You still have plenty. However, if you want to eliminate them, the best way to do it is to stop using vocal fillers in your regular conversations. Stop using them when you talk with your friends, with your family, with your partner, with your coworkers. Raise your awareness to them. Then replace them with a pause and a breath. Again, the great value of vocal fillers, one of them that I said before, is that you might be using them to hold the floor. You might need to maintain your speaking pace so that no one takes the mic from you. If that's the case, you do what you got to do. 
If there is a time when you have the luxury and the space to take a breath and a pause, I recommend you do. It is easier to replace a habit than it is to completely eliminate it. I believe that is from James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, which is an incredible book, and I highly recommend it. It's much easier to replace than it is to completely eliminate. So if you want to get rid of your vocal fillers, replace them with something else. Think about taking a breath and a pause instead. Finally, when you practice your presentation, practice it without your notes, without reading something, and see how many vocal fillers show up. Then when you practice again, try to replace those vocal fillers with breathing and pausing. If you don't need to get rid of them entirely, maybe we could just update them. For example, the words that I listed before that soften our message. Our message, you and me together. Remember, we are uh, the Power Rangers robot all in one. I'm there with you as you're speaking. If you need to update your vocal fillers to make the impact that you want to make, just think about enhancing them. Instead of saying something like, I think, or I believe, or I feel, say something like, in my experience, I've noticed this. In my professional experience, I have seen this. Put it into something that people can hold on to. There's a big difference between, I feel like this is a good idea, and in my experience, I have found this solution to work best. What's funny is that with your friends, with your family, with your partner saying, I feel like this is a good idea, is fine. And saying something like, in my experience, this solution has worked best doesn't really make sense when you're trying to figure out what restaurant you want to eat at that night. So you have to think contextually. Communication is all about context. Who am I talking with? Where are we speaking? If you want to eliminate your vocal fillers, think about getting them out of your system when you're speaking with others. Or when you use them, replace them with something a little bit more oomphy, a little bit more power behind it. This phrase has something weighty with it, so that it's not something that can be tossed aside. There is a difference between language that we use to undercut ourselves and language that we use to support ourselves. A while ago, there was a great internet learning being shared, wherein every time someone apologized for something, there was actually an opportunity to thank someone else. Rather than, I'm so sorry I'm late. I'm so sorry I made you wait. It's, hey, thank you for waiting on me. Thank you for your patience. I'm so sorry to bother you becomes, thank you so much for your help. One of these puts blame and shame and guilt and another Let's your communication partner or friend or person bringing you coffee know that you appreciate them. And these days, I think we all need to know that we're appreciated. It's one thing, uh, an interesting thing that stuck in my mind recently that when it comes to things like a gratitude list, a gratitude list is a daily practice where you write out what you're grateful for. We need to know that we're grateful for things, but we also need to know that people are grateful for us. And so my great theory, my great gratitude theory, is that the more we tell each other how much we appreciate each other, eventually it'll come back to each of us. And you will go about your day telling everyone how grateful you are for them. And eventually it'll come back to you like a beautiful gratitude boomerang. 
words that support you change your message and they change the way you connect with others. Most of this, using vocal fillers, not using vocal fillers, is just about the intention that you're bringing to how you speak to other people. Am I doing this with my full awareness? Am I here in the present moment? Are we talking about the same thing or am I zoning out? Did I get called on to speak when I was absolutely not listening? And if so, um, and if so, uh, or am I trying to get to the heart of this thing, but my brain is exhausted because we've been living through a pandemic for years and I have a million other things going on. And if that's the case, then, uh, and, um, respectfully. There is no reason to believe that you using a vocal filler makes you a less credible speaker than anyone else. It's a fun challenge if you want it, but it doesn't need to be the thing that keeps you from speaking. If you want to replace it, replace that word with something that empowers you and supports your message and maybe even acknowledges your listener. Or breathe and pause. It's up to you. When I was a kid, my favorite book was The True Story of the Three Little Pigs. One of my favorite books was The True Story of the Three Little Pigs. It's by Lane Smith, and it's this reverse fairy tale. The, truly the truly the game changer before Wicked and uh, the Sleeping Beauty, which story? It's not Medusa, but that's what I have in my head. Before these stories where we started to acknowledge the villain, as perhaps someone with their own story, and rightfully so, there was the true story of the three little pigs, wherein Alexander T. Wolf finally gets to be interviewed and explain that he didn't purposely murder the three pigs. And in fact, the three pigs were kind of awful. And he really just needed sugar for his coffee. And he tried so hard. It's not his fault that he's so strong. He knocked down a straw house. He's so sorry. And then what was he going to do? Just like leave a pig there to not be eaten? Like that's ridiculous. (laughs) its cover looks like an old newspaper it's a fantastic book what it inlaid in my head very early on was that there's more than one story and that's true with vocal fillers that there are times when they're so annoying there are times when we want to not use them and there are times where they actually show that we're human and we're connecting with others and that we're open vulnerable maybe even creative and collaborative There's a value to any kind of communication tool. It really just depends on the context. Because maybe you get to give the funniest presentation of your life and you get to use vocal fillers as a humor point. Or maybe now is the time to be as direct as possible with a point and you don't want to use them. Maybe you accidentally use one. As your local neighborhood friendly communication consultant, I need you to know It's okay. It's okay. Just keep talking. Keep your message going. Get it to where you need to and serve your listener as best as you can. The goal of this episode was to let you know that maybe sometimes vocal fillers can be good. And if nothing else, if they're not completely overrunning your presentation, they're not that super noticeable. If you want to change them, change them with the words that you use. Think about pausing and breathing. And as always, always be kind to yourself. And if you have served your listener, then you've done your job because speaking is a service to those listening. I hope I've done that here. Thank you for hanging out. And, uh, you know, thanks for coming to my pod talk.